Okay, everybody. I have something really cool to tell you about. If you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain here. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will uh, distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one single place. Now, the way that you can do this is you got to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. And then you can get started. It's really fun. We just switched over recently here at All Too Real 2, and I'm enjoying it so far. So be sure to check it out and uh, let us know what you think. Okay, everybody, welcome to the latest episode of All Too Real 2. My name is Michael E. Cullen II, and with me, as always, is... Is Matthew Haas. That is your name. Yep. Yes. Today, no no made-up names this time. No made-up names? No, no. No. Well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> At least you're, you know, realizing who you are and all that. Yeah. Um. So today, we have a... All two interview with uh, Tommy McLaughlin. Um, Tom was the uh, director of uh, Friday the 13th Part 6, among uh, several other uh, films, including uh, Murder at Greenwich and uh, a bunch of other really cool movies. Um, He's also in the band The Sloths, which is like kind of a, you know, heavier band which is really good i've listened to a few of their things um it was a really fun interview um yeah um anything going on in your life here matt uh not much but um i kind of want to check that band out now yeah the sloths is what they're called yeah really good band um everybody should check them out there'll be uh, links to everything in the show notes but uh, without further ado, here is the interview with Tommy McLaughlin. How are you uh, dealing with everything in the world? Well, I sort of take, you know, the old cliche, one day at a time. Yeah. Um, yesterday was a great day. Yesterday was Friday the 13th. Yeah. So, you know, I had an incredible amount of emails from people, which is, you know, they're so kind. The fans are just so great. And then I did... Uh, uh, a number of different Zoom uh, screenings where they would show the movie and have people all kind of, you know, a watch party, I guess they call it. Oh, nice. So, 
you know, that's certainly kind of a cool new innovation that, you know, out of all this misery that we can do. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then I watched a bunch of the extra features on the uh, box set, you know, mm-hmm. Friday the 13th box set. So it was uh, pretty much a Jason day. Yeah. I bet you it always is on Friday the 13th. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I watched, uh, about half of, uh, half of, uh, your, your, uh, Friday the 13th, um, today because I hadn't seen it in a while and I was like, yeah, and then I got, got busy doing other things. So I got, I had to turn it off, but, uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in a while and it still holds up really well. I, I love that movie. It's one of my favorites of the series. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. I really like, there's a, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but the scene where Jason's standing on top of the RV that's turned over and stuff—I don't know what it is—but that's just so ominous, and I like that shot <laughs> a lot. Yeah, it's you know, it's funny because you know, I, obviously, I wrote it. I had it in mind. Um, it was the last night of the shoot, and it was the last thing we shot, <laughs> and so everything was sort of riding on. God, I hope this stuntman doesn't kill himself. <laughs> this was, you know, this nobody had done something quite like this and we've enforced that motor home the best way we could and he said you know i'm gonna go for it i'm going for it and he sure did and that thing just sailed and then that you know shot of cj um standing up there it's just become this sort of thing for me like you know the caveman and the dinosaur just you know standing there on with you know this big thing he just killed yeah so it's a uh, yeah it somehow has kind of lived on beyond the beyond all the other images for me on that movie yeah and it's a, it's for sure one of the best, um, of the series. I've, uh, I remember watching them all when I, probably when I was in high school is when I first got into the Friday the 13th movies. And, uh, yeah, I watched them all back to back that were out at that time. And yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember, I, I like the humor in, uh, in part four. It's just, it, it, it adds to it a lot. I mean, so, some of them are too, take themselves too seriously, and then some of them yeah. don't take themselves serious enough, and it's a good balance. Um, how did you, uh, get started in, uh, like working in entertainment in general? Just curious. Well, um, I guess the best way to put it is I was kind of born into it. My father was a magician in vaudeville and a fire eater. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, fire eating is sort of like, you know, something that if you want to be a freak, that's something you can learn to do as opposed to being a freak that's, you know, born as a freak. It's a acquired yeah. skill. So it was always strange to be, you know, the son of a fire eater and, uh, you know, go see his shows and stuff. And of course, it didn't take long for that feeling of that adrenaline, you know, of having, you know, people applaud and, and, and you entertaining them. So I, you know, started getting into doing magic as a kid, as he did. And, you know, he helped show me stuff. And then he also was a USC film student. So he had, you know, film equipment uh, that he wasn't using. And we literally lived next to the old MGM back lots. Oh, wow. So we just went, you know, all my friends, we decided, let's do this on the weekend. So we started going and shooting in the back lots. And of course that put the whole, you know, bug in me that I want to be a filmmaker too. Um, and that lasted till about, I guess I was about 12. And then the Beatles hit and the Rolling Stones and the animals and the yard birds and all that. Yeah. So that was it. You know, the hair grew out. I got, you know, kicked out of, uh, <laughs> Seven high schools because I was a rock and roller and, you know, kind of rock and roll through the sixties. So, you know, one thing led to another, you know, that the rock and roll led to me wanting to be a better, you know, performer. So I went to Paris and studied with Marcel Marceau to learn how to, you know, 
do physical things that, you know, that no other lead singers were doing. And then came back and, you know, worked on the streets, you know, as a performer and whatever I made in the hat was how I ate that night. And it just kind of, you know, I, I kept wanting to go back and, and make a, a movie again, like I did as a kid. And it took a while. It took a lot of going to classes and things, learning the craft the best I could. So I finally got an opportunity with One Dark Night. And that kind of was what then led to Friday. Nice. Um, how was it, uh, working with Marcel Marceau? That's gotta be interesting. Did yeah. you work directly with him and everything? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was you know, I would I was like you know one of those, I guess like you know the hardcore, uh, uh, you know, aggressive. You know, I want what you know. I want to know what you know. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of working on the, the mind thing myself in Los Angeles with a, a teacher named Richmond Shepherd. And when I saw Marceau was coming to town, I went and saw his show, and I kind of went, mm, I kind of don't want to do that kind of thing, but. You know, he's he's the biggest, so yeah. I went backstage and introduced myself and, you know, kind of showed him some of the things I was able to do with, you know, parts of my body. And so, <laughs> you know, he said, well, you know what, why don't you come to Paris? And oh, I said, wow. well, I don't have any money. And he says, well, it's, he's got three months, and I opened my school. And so that became the objective. You know, <laughs> I had to get us, you know, my one and only straight job, make as much money as I could, leave my girlfriend, leave my family, leave the band. And go to Paris and then go, what the fuck did I just do? This, like, <laughs> I, I don't know anybody. I don't speak a word of French. But, you know, I learned from a lot of incredible teachers. And he was very one-on-one and, you know, invited me to go see local shows in France. <clears throat> I just sat on the side of the stage and just really, really study him. But he was, you know, quite giving, quite childlike, um, arrogant. All the things that you would expect oh, yeah. of an artist, you know, back and forth. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I took like one mime class back when I was doing uh, theater, and uh, I, I, because uh, we we had to do a thing where we were mimes at a uh, dinner party one time. That was the weirdest thing I've ever had to do when I was when I was at, when I was when I was an actor. Um, the uh, um, I uh, was just curious. Um, I saw that you worked with uh, Dick Van Dyke as well on yeah. some things. Yeah, how was that? Because he's like one of my like idols i think he's just yeah you know whatever pedestal you have dick on yeah. put him on a higher one yeah because he literally is one of the the best human beings period on the face of the planet yes not to mention how talented he is and not to mention he's what <laughs> 93 94 now yeah and he's still singing he's still dancing he's still making appearances <laughs> he's still going up to see other people's shows and being supportive And when we got that job, I had a group called the L.A. Mime Company, and Dick came to this theater where we were performing, and he really loved, you know, the visual comedy that I was doing, and the band, I mean, the band, the the group. And so he invited us to be, you know, like he said, make me the sixth member of your group. I want to have you on my new series, Van Dyke and Company. So it was an incredible thing for us um, to suddenly be thrown into, you know, the big time. Mm-hmm. And Andy Kaufman was also, you know, discovered and put on that show oh, wow. very early on in his career. And it was just every week I could, I know, I would write the sketches and and direct them, you know, the stage them, I should say, because they, they have a regular director that chooses the camera shots and yeah. stuff. But 
you know, I, you know, do one week would be Lucy and Dick. Another week would be Sid Caesar and Dick. Another week would be Carol Burnett and Dick. Then Chevy Chase, you know, Flip Wilson. I mean, there was all these, you know, incredible big stars. And, you know, I was this 26 year old kid going, yeah, well, this is how you do it. And they, you know, they were all great. They were all just, you know, put themselves into my hands. Freddie Prince was probably of all the ones the most excited about doing mine, you know, on the oh, show. Wow. And, uh, we did a, a Thanksgiving piece because that show aired around Thanksgiving. And, you know, he, he was great, you know. Yeah. yeah. He was just a big guy. Yeah, I mean, you seems like you've worked with some of the, like, best, like, physical comedians there, too, like with Lucy and Chevy Chase and Dick, of course. And then, yeah, it's yeah. just... And that's we've seen Sid Caesar. Oh, yeah, and Sid Caesar, Caesar, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, he's definitely one of the ones who... Uh, you know, kind of created the art on television. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, so, uh, what, what, uh, when you went, when you went from that to, uh, then to directing, did you take anything from mime to use into directing, like to help you out or? Yeah, very much so. Um, I, I have a production company, um, which is called Cinemime, C-I-N-E-M-I-M-E. Yeah. And of course, everybody's always going cinema. No, cinemine. No. <laughs> but my goal was at that time when I created that company was to do, uh, movies and short films and things where most of what you're going to get from it is going to be nonverbal. And I became such a huge fan of Charlie Chaplin's movies, Buster Keaton's movies, Jacques Dati. When I was in Paris, I saw, you know, his work. And I thought it's really possible to just, you know, be a basically silent character and, and have other people react to you. So all the comedy becomes universal. I yeah. mean, there's no place in the world. There's no age. Kid will laugh at the same thing. Some, you know, 90 year old grandpa would laugh at it just, you know, no, no, you know, uh, barriers with, with language. So when I started doing the movies, uh, like one dark night has so many sequences that are in complete silence. Yeah. Um, and it was, it's all about music and sound effects. And then, you know, working with, uh, uh, CJ Graham, you know, so much of what I kind of showed him the way I wanted kind of Jason to feel, you know, and then he picked up the ball and ran with it in a, in a way that because he was in the military, he really knew how to do this. Somebody else, you know, wouldn't have that kind of precision that he had. So it, you know, it was a, it was a great way to sort of take things that I knew physically and then, you know, I've worked with so many actors, you know, in, in just the, the physicality of, of a scene, you know, and the staging and so on. Um, what kind of advice would you give to anybody that's interested in like getting into like directing or anything in filmmaking in general? You know, it's, it's for, for, since the beginning of films, <laughs> It has always been hard, you know, it's yeah. I would like you have to kind of fall into the lucky club. Um, and you know, you, you can't give up. You have to keep going, you know, because there's a lot of doors that will slam in your face and they, you know, it's like, no, it's as I, I have actually, uh, film students these days and I tell them, you know, the, the problem with the industry is everybody's programmed to say no. No is the easiest thing because. If you say yes to like a project, you know, I bring a script and say, I want to direct it. You say yes, you're an executive. If that movie doesn't work, you're out of job. Yeah. So most people are very gun shy in what they, you know, agree to. 
Uh, and so, you know, then they have to kind of test the waters and see if the next person likes it. And, and it's sort of like if something goes wrong, they can go, well, he did it, you know, and <laughs> if it succeeds, well, yeah, they, they bump up and become, you know, head of the company. Yeah. But the problem is most times, most things don't succeed. Somebody asked me yesterday about, you know, did you know um, your Friday the 13th was going to you know, be so, you know, 34 years and people are still watching it. I said, no, I was, you know, I just tried to make the best movie I could. I just tried to have the characters be likable, you know, and when I cast them, you know, so they all were different types and tried to have a little more of a story. So if I, the fact that it lasted is just sort of those basic rules that you have to kind of adhere to, um, you know, with, with storytelling. But in terms of somebody who wants to be a director these days, you know, you know, everybody's got one of these. Yeah. And you can make a, a really, really good-looking movie. The only thing that's problem with these is the sound. Yeah. So you have to, you know, go online and find some little adapter and get a better mic so that you can hear people mm-hmm. and just start making stuff. You know, I did it on Super 8, you know, when yeah. back in the day. That was the only, you know, tool I had to work with. But now these things look so great. And, of course, as a filmmaker, you always want to have, you know, the big equipment and all the people yeah. and stuff. but. You know, I having these students now, they're all in their late teens and stuff. It's just remarkable some of the things that they come up with and some of the things that they just kind of use that, that, you know, lighter, simpler phone to put the camera in places that, you know, you've never thought of before. And those GoPros are amazing. You know, stick in a refrigerator, open the refrigerator, take your milk out, bang. I mean, (laughs) there's nothing, there's nothing you can't, you know, kind of come up with. But the hardest thing is the story. You know, coming up with a person that you care about, you're involved with, that takes you through the story. And there's, you know, the classic three acts, you know, a setup, a confrontation, and a resolution. And it has to kind of feel like it's gone through that arc to be most times successful. There's certainly movies that have broken that rule, Mm -hmm. but they're really rare. And... Um, the, the thing for me always is I, I hate when I watch a movie and I'm going, who do I care about here? I don't care if this person lives or dies. You know, you're not yeah. identifying with them. You're not relating to what they're doing. It's like, you know, you just start to pull. And, uh, you know, whether you're seeing a big Marvel DC, you know, kind of comic book franchise type movie or just even some small little movie. And they just cast badly. You know, the person there that's the lead, you just don't, you can't connect to them. So it's so important to try to, you know, if nothing else, try to get somebody that you know kind of comes off well, whatever the thing you're doing, whether it's a a villain, you know, or, you know, the good guy. You know, there's always got to be something about that person that you can kind of connect to. Yeah, you got to care about the characters or their, you know, the, whatever happens to them, whether it be, you know, good or bad, isn't going to yep. matter to the audience at all. If, you know, it's like, oh, wow, that guy's got a new job. I don't really give a crap, you know, or that guy died. I don't care either, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I, uh, yeah, the, the, the refrigerator thing reminded me that, that where you said put a GoPro in the refrigerator. I, uh, the first, the first feature I directed, I put a Canon DSLR instead of a refrigerator. I don't know why I, it was just, on the whim, I was like, yeah, this guy has to get a beer out of the fridge. So I was like, I'll just put it in there. And, 
it was pretty cool that you could do that with the, great, and the, yeah. the way the smaller cameras are. So, yeah, because um, I, I directed a uh, horror comedy. Uh, actually, had um, Ari Lehman, who was the first uh, Jason Voorhees. He was in the project. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I know he, Ari. yeah, he, um, yeah, it was Pi Day Die Day. It was a really seven thousand dollar low budget movie, but it was still pretty funny. Um, the uh, yeah, um, so uh, yeah, you, you also directed a. Uh, Murder in Greenwich, which I really loved that, uh, that uh, movie. Yeah. I'm, I don't, I'm glad you saw that. Yeah. yeah a lot I, of people haven't yeah. seen that. Yeah. I'm, I'm incredibly proud of that movie because it was a really difficult thing to do because I have so many shots and we were in New Zealand and everything had to look like Greenwich, Connecticut. And yeah. All the New Zealand actors had to speak with perfect American accents, which they did. Wow. So, I didn't, I didn't know that was shot in New Zealand. That's cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've, yeah, I've got the DVD of that actually. I, uh, I've watched it from time to time. It's one of my, uh, like favorite based on a true story type movies. I, I tend to like those movies anyways, based on true stories, but that one, I think, uh, yeah, they, the they, performance they're good. Really they can good. really get under your skin because you're thinking, "This really happened. This is yeah. This is bizarre." Yeah, that was a. Um, how did you get involved in that project? Murder and Greenwich. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, obviously started out to be a, you know, just a filmmaker for, you know, the movie screens, mm-hmm. and I you know I go all the time or, or she used to until the pandemic. Um, always, always, you know, want to feel what a movie is like with an audience. Yeah. Uh, you know, the solo thing is just, it's not the same experience. It just mm-hmm. isn't. And so, you know, I made One Dark Night and then Jason, and then I had this other romantic comedy fantasy that I was carrying around for years, um, Date with an Angel. Yeah. And that became the next thing, which I did with Dino De Laurentiis, the producer. And then he said, uh, no, why don't you do the Stephen King movie I got? So then that was sometimes they come back. Yeah. And that, that was, you know, incredibly successful, uh, in Europe. And, you know, we shot it, you know, the CinemaScope. And then we also had to kind of frame it because CBS was going to buy it and put it on TV because, you know, Stephen King movies at that time were enormously popular. Yeah. So when, when it aired, uh, CBS then, uh, asked me if I wanted to make a big, big miniseries that they were doing, uh, which was called In a Child's Name. And it had uh, Valerie Bertinelli, who I never even heard of, because um, oh. I was not a television person. I yeah. was just all about, <laughs> you know, film. So I sort of reluctantly said yes, because I just was afraid I was going to be in way over my head. But I just kind of put all these horror touches you know, into it and uh, made scenes that, you know, somehow you know, they're the relating to the TV movie and that true story pull people in and then the fact that we went out on you know these act outs that were just you know horrendous um that the second night of the miniseries this thing you know shot up past roseanne past everything and was the biggest (laughs) you know tv movie of 1991 so suddenly now i'm being offered these incredible tv movies and i i really didn't want to do television but (laughs) You know, it's like my monsters went from, you know, Jason and uh, I did Freddy for uh, Freddy's Nightmares um, and Stephen King, obviously. Yeah. And now I'm doing, you know, AIDS, global warming, segregation, <laughs> uh, you know, cyberbullying. I mean, so like yeah. real monsters, you know, the stuff that yeah. you have to kind of contend with in life. So it just like sort of just kind of shifted my game. And in that time period is when USA Network you know, asked me to do uh, Murder in Greenwich. 
And so I, you know, I, I really wanted to make that somehow really unique and very cinematic the best I could. And I had a great crew and I had a great cast. Um, again, it's one of those things where I, every time, this is for you guys as directors, I had so much stuff to try to do, to, you know, each day that I had three units going at the same time. I'd go over and set up a shot over at this side of the house and I'd you know, set up. Oh, sorry. Oh, no problem. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Let me kill this. Um, <laughs> so I, I, you know, I would have something set up outside, have a camera in there, go and set up something inside and then maybe send, set up something like in the bedroom. And yeah. then I'd go to the first thing, you know, and shoot it, you know, go to the second <laughs> thing, shoot it, then, you know, give the first one something else to do. So I was just bouncing around, but we got, you know, all this footage that I wanted for the way we, I wanted to cut it. Yeah. So it was going to be very kind of fast and, you know, impressionistic. And, yeah. it, you know, the producers were going, you know, <laughs> this is crazy. And the actors <laughs> were going, this is fine. So, you know, I kind of yeah. got away with it. But that, you know, I, I really loved, uh, you know, uh, just you know, everybody in there. Chris Maloney and I, oh, yeah. friends, years. You know, we did three movies together, and Robert Forster was amazing, and Maggie Grace was such a heartthrob. I mean, oh, uh, yeah. she's you know, just was terrific. Everybody I mean, it was a really wonderful, wonderful cast. Yeah, I think Maloney's one of the most. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if I'm going to say underrated, but he's very. He's he's definitely one of the best actors out there. I think. When, yeah. Anytime I see him in anything, it's. It just seems effortless when you watch him the way he acts. Yeah. Um, and he's one of the funniest guys. You have oh to yeah, too. <laughs> the um, what uh, what do you what do you find different about directing like for like a film in theaters to TV? Like any like just the like is it the budget that's the biggest? Is there a hurdle of any kind, or is there, or is it you know? It's, it's also flip flop now that it costs more to make these you know. <laughs> episodes uh you know my son uh you know works in the uh, ad department and you know he was doing uh uh, westworld yeah and that was 11 million per episode wow for a friggin episode 11 (laughs) million dollars how many like cool little films could we make with 11 yeah and then he he went on to the star trek series and that was 15 million an episode And he, you know, he, it's, you know, it's gotten so unbalanced that now if you want to actually make a film, you've got to make something pretty small and pretty intimate, you know, to be able to just compete, you know, get so that you can make it and that the producers and whoever does the distribution can at least get their money back. Yeah. Because everything's going to television. And, you know, when I was doing television, it was like, you're doing television? Uh, You know, and... (laughs) It's, it's like I said, you know, I'm when I'm shooting it, I'm thinking of the big screen. I'm planning for people to have bigger screens one day because yeah. I haven't really come in yet. Um, and the same thing when I mix the sound, I wanted it to, you know, go into the surrounds and make it as, as cinematic as possible. And boy, suddenly when Scorsese was doing television, and all these major heavy hitters, you know, Quentin, you know, then it it's completely flipped around. Yeah. Where, you know, if you wanted to get a break, either you have to be part of that group somehow, some way, like you're the uh, cameraman or you're the editor or you're well, the producer. They got the chance to direct all those things. But as you know, just an up and coming director, 
you really have to kind of make your own thing and try to make your own noise with it and get it in festivals and, you know, get somebody to yeah. notice you. And they're, you know, if you're young, they always want to go. They always feel you guys know more than everybody else. If you don't, nor, nor do we. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, I've always looked at myself as a student. There's always something more to learn. There's always somebody that does something. You go, shit, how did you think that up? That's amazing, you know. And that to me is great. But as far as the industry goes, you know, they're always looking for somebody to come along and say, I'll tell you what's really cool. And if you happen to be good and you happen to have this thing work, um, you know, you, you've got a career for a while. You just try not to screw up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it really has like kind of flip flopped, and especially now with the pandemic, you know, everybody's at home anyway. So, luckily, a lot of things that probably weren't, you know, getting eyes on it are getting eyes on it now too because of, you know, we're we're doing a um, we're doing an actual like uh, creep. It's called Creep Fest, Mm -hmm. quarantine creep creep fest, and um, it's. uh, Jeffrey Ruddick, who, who wrote the, uh, the, you know, the final destination. Oh, yeah. I know Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. um, um, uh, Dan, uh, Daniel, uh, Merrick, who did Blair Witch. <laughs> and, uh, 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 yeah. Um, did the, no, kind of blanking. Um, Underworld. Um, he did the Underworld series. It's, oh. I think, producer or writer. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. And you know <laughs> what we're doing is basically putting it out there that make anything that's you know kind of within the theme of being quarantined that's a horror thing that's like two minutes you know mm-hmm. one minute whatever you want to do you know send it to us and then we'll all look at it so your stuff will be exposed to you know horror directors and writers and you know producers and then if you are picked as number one, you get like this $15,000 camera package. And then I think it's like 500 bucks, a second prize, 300 bucks and all the way down. So yeah. we have that going on. That's now. pretty cool. Yeah. I think that wraps up towards the end of November uh, for that. But, you know, we're, we're all doing uh, a thing that uh, Dan came up with uh, called the black veil, which is like an episodic horror thing. Uh, bringing in these directors and letting us write our own thing and direct it. And of course we were on that, you know, ready to go when pandemic gets so everything's on hold. Yeah. Uh, it's just always, you know, <laughs> you always think, okay, you know, one more month is going to be over. And it's like, no, no. Yeah, I, don't I, know, I don't know how it is where you are, but like in Los Angeles, it oh, just yeah. keeps getting worse. Yeah. I'm in uh, Toledo, Ohio, and I was supposed to do, uh, actually this morning I was supposed to do a video, just interview shoot that I was supposed to do. And yeah, we got canceled because of the pandemic. So again, yeah. I mean, postponed again, we got postponed a couple weeks ago and now we're postponed again because it more breakouts and the pandemic, unfortunately. So, and yeah, I did, yeah. I, I did do one thing that, um, Vangoria, uh, was doing. Um, it's for, um, shutter, uh, and it'll be on, like next year, like this time, Halloween yeah. and stuff. And I think it's called Monsters. And literally each episode is about, you know, one of the, you know, monsters. And, you know, talking to the people who did Jason movies, writing movies, you know, all the way down the yeah. line. And they actually had us come to the studio, huge rules, masks, all that oh, yeah. stuff, crew on masks, keeping the distance and things. But it felt great to be in a studio <laughs> again, even though there's all these restrictions. 
Um, but that was, you know, kind of brave on, on their part. There's a few film companies that are, you know, just going for it, you know, they're making everybody take tests every day. And so, you know, the hope is, you know, that, that they can still produce something, uh, but you're losing so much time, you know, with all these restrictions and the pods everybody has to stay in. Yeah. Um, you know, separate. Sure. People. It's taking them like twice as long to shoot some things. And exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's gotta be. Yeah. I've, I've talked to a few people that are on TV sets and stuff and they're, you know, being tested every day. They've got to wear the masks up until they're on screen. And a lot of times people forget to take off the masks when they start rolling and then they have to reshoot that. No, <laughs> you get so used to wearing the masks everywhere. You gotta, you forget you yeah. have it on. Um, the, uh, what, um, what was it like working with? Actually, I just I'm just curious because I used to be a big soap opera fan. Working with uh, Michael Knight on uh, Date with an Angel was he was he a good actor? Or? Michael Knight, yeah, yeah. Um, he he was. You know, I always seem like I'm going on crazy with actors, yeah. but you know, there's you get so close when it's something that you wrote and you have a particular vision, and then you find somebody who can add another element to that, which you know makes it even better. Um, and Michael was, you know, that kind of an actor. And when we went on the road to do publicity, there wasn't any place that we went that women were just like, Michael, you know, and <laughs> I mean, we went through airport security with the thing beeping and nobody paid any attention. They were so gaga seeing Michael walk through. And I mean, he was just, you know, amazing superstar. Problem is that. You know, the soap opera audience don't go to the movies. Yeah. You know, they stay home, the they watch the soap. That's it. So yeah. we couldn't pull that crowd over as much as we wanted to. Yeah, because if they can and, get Michael Free in their living room, they're probably not going to want to go pay for it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it just yeah, going going out to the movies, you know, if you have kids, yeah. you know, babysitters, the mm-hmm. cost, all that stuff. Even back then, when, they, when we did date with an angel in the 80s, it still was expensive. Now it's yeah. ridiculous. I mean... We've got theaters here in Los Angeles that charge $29 to see a movie. Oh, wow. You know, you can go, you know, like maybe just over into the next town. And I'm talking like, you know, two miles or something and see the same thing for 10 bucks. Yeah. So it's, you know, but it's, it's, you know, the, the movie business was kind of pricing itself out of the business. Yeah. Uh, and that has happened. So now it's going to be interesting to see how it, everything is going to come back, you know, what is going to be the new normal. Yeah, it's going to be interesting after the pandemic ends and how long it'll take for people to want to feel safe to go back to the movie theaters. I mean, I haven't been to a movie since, I think, February in theaters, so it's just kind of weird. I was thinking of maybe risking it for something, but I just don't think I want to, necessarily. <laughs> just in case, you know, you never know how many people are going to be in that theater. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've gone to do drive-ins. Like yeah, drive-ins, drive-ins are probably yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, here in yeah, here in Ohio, our drive-in season I think just ended, so we're 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 out of that, unfortunately. But we do have a a really cool drive-in locally, which is cool. But um, you know, it's just unfortunate that it's only a few months out of the year. Um, but uh, I saw that you uh on the wrong man worked with uh, Mahershala Ali as well, and Galleon Heard served as executive producer. Those are and Julia. Julia Ormond as well. Oh, wow. That, <laughs> I have yet to see that movie, but I was just curious about the yeah. experience with that. Well, I, I knew um, Herschelow was special. There was yeah. no question. I didn't realize, well, just like working with Hillary Swank, 
I knew she was yeah. special, but I didn't expect, you know, Oscars. To, oh, yeah. You know, one after the other. Yeah. Same thing with Mahershala. Um, but he, he's so spiritual. You know, he's Muslim and he's like mm-hmm. really just cool. I mean, there's just something about him just so chill and so wonderful. And yet he can, he's got a range. He can do like anything. Yeah. And Julia Armand, uh, Armand was also incredible. I mean, she was a heartthrob in those early movies. Oh, yeah. You know, and so getting a chance to work with her was amazing. And Gail, you know, was, you know, certainly I know. <laughs> a very tough producer. Yeah. And, you know, she really kept you on your game and, you know, was very you know, supportive, but always was questioning, you're going to make it, you're going to be able to, you know, get this. And you know, I thought, because she was married to Jim Cameron, part of all those movies, I would have all kinds of time. <laughs> no, it was, it was somehow even tighter, you know, on the budget. Yeah. Because it took, it was just a hard movie to get made um, because they sell all these things overseas and somehow movies that dealt with any black issues didn't sell that well at that time yeah. overseas. So they weren't putting in a whole lot of money into it. But for me, it was a, it was a story and a chance to really make something that I really felt, you know, personally involved with. And it was just, a, a, you know, a great time to be down in Georgia and, you know, I'd go to um, Southern Baptist churches on Sunday and be part of that whole, you know, the only white guy in there. But the energy and the, oh. you know, the singing, it, it just, I, then they went for two and a half hours in services. So you walked out of there just like, you know, you'd seen God. <laughs> I'm sure within two and a half hours, if you haven't, you've been wasting time. Yeah. It's a hell of, it's a, one heck of an experience. Once it's <laughs> yellow, that's not. Yeah, no. Um, so, uh, are you are you still doing music and everything too? Then, uh, yeah. Um, unfortunately, the the last time the band played live was a year ago. This, yeah, this you know, November of last year, and then we kind of went into you know, well, all right, let's start booking for the next year, and we got you know a tour. We had a whole bunch of dates that were in the spring into the summer. And we were going to record uh, the other half of our album, our second album, and then you know everything stopped. Yeah. And because you know all of us are older, there's the other guy. I'm a little more crazy than they are, but you know <laughs> I, I'm going. You know, let's just rent a large place and just separate. Let's just play together. And it's like no, no, and I'm one. I you know, if I get that shit, I'm you know. It's like okay, so there's been very, very little. Um, even communication, but we've tried to keep, you know, the website alive. I've just gotten involved with these guys that are, you know, helping put our music back out there again, uh, mainly using Instagram as a way. And then I made a music video with a, one of our old songs and I had this really wonderful, I guess he's what, 18, 19 year old editor, uh, at the school where I work put all these pieces from 2020. All, you know, everything, all the pandemic things, the hospitals, the deaths, the um, Black Lives Matter, the looting, you know, and the song is called I Want a New Life. And yeah. he, cut, he cut together footage from other shows we did and was able to lip sync me to the words from these uh, oh, wow. other performances. So it really, I thought, you know, came across really powerful. But it's like we're, we're living it still. It's sort of like... Yeah. Yeah, I get this feeling like, well, it's it's a good record of the time and the feeling, um, but you know, it's like you, you, when you're 
depressed, you want to see a depressing film. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, we're going to kind of sit on that video for a while. That, that sounds cool, though. I'll have to check it out whenever you release it. Um, where uh, where can people find the music and everything? And is there anything else that you wanted to say before we end up here? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd love you guys to check out. We have uh, you know a site uh, www.thesloss.s like the cute little things with you know three claws, but yeah, not so cute. And um, so you know, thesloss.org, um, okay. all lowercase. And then on Instagram, you know, we also have uh, at the Sloss sixty five, and that's the thing that's trying to you know put more music and things on there so you can hear. But if you go on YouTube and put in the Sloss band, because you put Sloss, you're going to get those cute furry little animals. But if you put Sloss band, you know, there's a lot of our you know live performances, a couple of the music videos, so you can kind of you know, see the other side of me, which is pretty Very crazy. Cool. I, I kind of blank out when I'm out there just like <laughs> I'm something else, but it's, it's great fun. And, um, yeah. So, um, I don't know, uh, before we go, um, what, uh, what would you say is your favorite film of all time? I'm just going to throw out a random, uh, question. <laughs> what I, what I always say is Frank Capra's it's a wonderful life. And yes. people go, the guy made Jason lives like that. <laughs> And I go, you know, there's Frank Capra all through that movie. Um, it's, it's, it's all about making people laugh, making them kind of care about the people, mm-hmm. some of the physical gags and things that I did, you know, with just a sense of humor, like with the James Bond tribute, you know, all these things were things because Frank Capra was like a mentor. To me. You know, I, I date with an angel. I bounced a script off of him and showed him the oh, movie. Wow. You know, he said that, you know, he thought it was a wonderful movie, you know, really, you know, go see it. Um, so, it, you know, he had this effect on me because I always saw that last scene of It's a Wonderful Life on TV. I didn't know what the movie was, but every time I saw this last scene, there was so much joy in it. Yeah. You know, I'd start to you'd tear up. And I thought, you know, what the hell? I never see what this movie is. Um and then when I was at a, a film seminar and Capra was there, he screamed, it's a wonderful life. And I went, oh, my God, that's it. So it sort of has kind of stayed with me as if you can make a movie like that and leave that behind. I mean, it has, it's become the ultimate Christmas movie next to Christmas story. Yeah. And it just has this sense of, you know, one person can make a difference in this world. You just have to, you know, believe it and stick to it and you know, those very simple things that make you feel like, yeah, I'm glad I watched this. Yeah, you know, it really got to me. And so that's why I think that one, for me, is, is my all-time favorite. Yeah, my uh, my sister has seven kids and a couple Christmases ago, maybe maybe four now or something, but a few, few ago, I made all of them watch It's a Wonderful Life because they had mm-hmm. never seen it. And they uh, they all... It all connected with all of, with most of them. I mean, the the littler ones, obviously, they didn't care yeah. if it wasn't a cartoon. But you know, the <laughs> the uh, yeah. but it was. It, I I just think that, that that film does it. It's it's touched so many people over so many generations. It's just amazing. It's yeah. Um. So I, I, yeah, that's definitely in my top ten of all my my favorite movies of all time. Um. Anything else you wanted to say before we before I let you go for the evening? Uh. Well, you know, probably some people know that I've written a sequel to my Jason Lives, uh, you know, Jason Never Dies. 
I'm sitting on this script and have this <laughs> great vision of how I want to shoot it, but with yeah. the current lawsuit, I don't know when that's going to happen, and I don't yeah. know if this is the movie that they're going to choose, but I've been really letting fans know about it, and, you know, basically the, the be- kind of, you know, basic story. So I'm, I'm not giving away all the secrets, yeah. but just the basic story of it. And so, you know, that, I'm, I'm hoping people will be supportive on that. And yeah, for sure. It's down to would you guys sign this thing and saying that you want to see this movie? Lots of times that internet power really makes a difference. Um, but I, I made a movie or wrote a movie for the fan in me. And mm-hmm. hopefully people will feel that way if you love the series. Um, not that we're doing anything exactly like the other movies, but yeah. it's kind of, it, it follows the rules of, you know, being a crystal lake and being, um, you know, isolated there and Jason being out there and except this time these girls don't know who Jason is or are fighting they were very savvy everybody was savvy about it and that you know it's all sent during the winter um, oh wow uh, and all the kills and stuff happen on Thanksgiving so it's it's a whole different way of kind of approaching you know Jason's story that'd be that'd be uh, very cool um yeah, if you send me the info, I'll definitely put that in the show notes for the episode so people can uh, sign the petition for that and okay, get that done. Because, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see that. Because I'd, I'd really like to see any Friday the 13th movie, honestly. Because, you know, I, I wish this lawsuit stuff would end so we can get more Jason out there and or whatever yeah. direction they want to take it in. <laughs> well, the fans are making some really good ones. You know, yeah. There's been a few that are not so good, but there's been some that really I went, wow, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I was in one of them, the Vengeance. <laughs> you know, they wanted to use my Jason's dad idea, you know, and the thing. And I said, yeah, go. You know, I couldn't do it, you know, at that, at that time because they were afraid that the fans were going to think the next movie was going to be you know, Jason's father and not Jason. Yeah. But they got C.J. Graham, who was, you know, my Jason. Yeah. Jason playing the father. And then I'm in the opening scene as the caretaker of the graveyard. Um, so we got to do a scene together, which was great. Oh, fun. very cool. <laughs> I'll definitely check that one out too. Um, yeah, big, big Friday the 13th. I think it's my, uh, <clears throat> with, with Halloween, it's my favorite series. Both of those are, I think, the best horror series is ever made. Um, I like, I mean, I like Friday, the, I mean, I, I like Freddy as well, but there's, you know, when it comes to the, the big three, I think, uh, Jason's probably the best. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I've always, I've always been a fan of Jason. I played Jason in a, in a uh, haunted house a couple of years too, even though I'm only like five, six and not intimidating at all, but um, <laughs> somehow it worked. <laughs> so it, yeah. yeah. So the mask, the mask and any aggressiveness with them wearing a mask. Real <laughs> yeah. So, well, um, it was great talking with you. Um, hopefully we can do it again sometime and uh, um, hopefully uh, 2020 gets better soon or I mean, 2021 is better for us. I mean, and then yeah. we can, uh, Start uh, seeing more uh, more films and more music and everything from you. <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, thank you. Thank, thank you guys for being fans. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Rolling. Okay, that was our my interview with um, Tommy McLaughlin, the uh, film director, musician extraordinaire. Um, that was a that was a fun interview. Um, really enjoyed talking to him um really nice guy um 
a lot of a uh, lot of insight. You know, he was a he was a mime and other things too, which was really cool to find out about him. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, anything going on in your life, Matt? No, not much. Just kind of just you know taking it easy. Um, no, not really going out a lot or anything. That's good. That's good. That's good. So, um, anyways, uh, just wanted to say to everybody, make sure you, uh, check out all the links that we have in our show notes, uh, follow us on the social meds and, uh, <laughs> all of that good stuff. Um, social meds. Yes. Good one. <laughs> and, um, you know, just check them all out. Um, you know, we'll we always post a lot of cool stuff on, uh, Facebook and Twitter and the Instagram the gram, the gram, the yeah. gram, the twits and the books <laughs> and the, um, yeah, we haven't gotten into the TikToks yet, but maybe we will. I don't know. Um, and the, oh, uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> we'll have to see. Um, yeah. Um, anyways, um, hope everybody's having a good day, evening, morning afternoon whatever it is when you're listening to this podcast um and uh bye bye thanks for listening to all too real 2 podcast a cullen park production produced and edited by michael e cullen the second music by matthew haas subscribe and share the show visit us at cullenpark.com Thank you.